Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. In 1956, there was a hugely successful infrastructure overhaul in the United States. This is the American dream. The point that people always point to is Eisenhower creating the interstate highway system. Traveling on time-saving superhighways. Sam Mintz is a transportation reporter at Politico. That was a, a monumental feat of policy and then of engineering. And listeners, that is still, to this day, pointed to as the government's biggest infrastructure project. That's more than 60 years ago. Six, zero. Though we have the greatest highway system in all the world, it can't carry the mounting traffic of our growing greatness. And even though President Eisenhower's interstate highway system accomplished what it set out to do... But there's flip sides to it, as with everything. There are problems those roads created that we're still dealing with to this very day. You know, that, that's the same system that has dissected some of these black neighborhoods and been unequally applied. Today, infrastructure is the next big thing on Biden's agenda. The Eisenhower legacy and the interstate highway system is definitely something that's on people's minds as they're working on this bill. We didn't dream big enough. I'm Playbook author Rachel Bade, and this is Nerdcast. Sam Mintz is a Politico reporter covering all things surface. Surface. Like literally roads and trains and, you know, surfaces. You get it. He authors our transportation newsletter. I've heard people say that it's an indispensable read on transportation stuff every morning, so you like to hear that. A massive infrastructure bill has long been a dream of many politicians, and it's high on Joe Biden's agenda. He campaigned on a $2 trillion infrastructure climate plan. We cannot fail to invest in infrastructure. That's right, Biden's like the train guy. He is, yeah, Amtrak Joe. And, um, you know, we've, we've written a bit about what that means for Amtrak. We're still waiting to see sort of how ambitious he and Amtrak might try to get on expanding the passenger rail network, but that's obviously something that you're going to need to watch with this bill as well. I'm going to be very brief. We're going to get to it. We want to talk about infrastructure. Okay, so I have been a Hill reporter now for about a decade, and it feels like everybody, Republican, Democrat, no matter who the president is, has talked about infrastructure in these glowing terms. You know, the joke is that, oh, it's infrastructure week again. But like now that this is really happening, uh, possibly in the next couple of weeks and months, I'm realizing that I really don't know what it means. What Can you just define infrastructure for us in like 30 seconds? Yeah, I mean, the funny thing about infrastructure in, in sort of D.C. terms is that it's this incredibly broad umbrella that could refer to so many different things and people mean different things every time they, they say it. So my sense of what the Biden administration is looking at is something very broad. And so now that the COVID stimulus bill has passed, infrastructure is likely to be the next legislative battle in Congress. Another bill with a massive price tag and another bill where Republican support will be tough. Mitch McConnell called last year's House infrastructure plan a, quote, a multi-thousand page, multi page cousin of the Green New Deal masquerading as a highway bill. If you want to, you can extend infrastructure to mean housing, to mean broadband internet, to mean energy you know, with the electric grid. The electric grid is likely to be a major focus after what happened in Texas. It could even mean, in some cases, health and hospital infrastructure. 
So it's just a policy area that is pretty broad and huge and wide and can mean so many different things. It touches, you know, most committees in Congress, I would say, to a certain degree. And the quote unquote pay force, the way we pay for highway and transit, that's going to be its own fight. It's what we call a user fee, something like the gas tax. But last time we raised that was in 1993. There's a sense in many parts of the country that our infrastructure is subpar. Subpar. That's a nice way of putting it. The Society of Civil Engineers gives a grade every four years. We just got a C-. minus. As a straight-A student, if I got a C, my parents would have killed me. So yeah, that's not a good grade. Or our infrastructure as a whole just got a C-, minus, which was the best grade in decades, which is pretty sad. This is things like bridges that are falling apart or structurally deficient. This is things like transit infrastructure being constantly underfunded and having to sort of scramble for ridership. And these are things that, you know, very close to people's lives. The roads you drive on, the, the transit systems you use, the, the way you get around. I think it's, you know, we, we put a lot of money into that, into all those systems right now. But I think um, the sense of, of Biden and, and especially Democrats on the Hill is like we could be putting so much more into it and, and fixing so many things that are really like relevant to people's daily lives. So it's about to be infrastructure week. Ugh. Or more accurately, infrastructure year, since if I had a crystal ball, I'd guess that you're about to hear a lot more people talking about it for the next few months. I think it's clear that the wheels are turning on infrastructure behind the scenes, at the White House, in Congress, everywhere. But without enough Republican support, there's also a good chance that all this divided Congress will be able to do is pass a surface reauthorization bill. Which they do every four or five years anyways. And then Biden says, yeah, that's our infrastructure bill. And the can gets kicked down the road again. Or maybe it's finally got a chance. So let's talk about some of the major players here that we should all be watching. Um, who's going to take the lead for the administration and who are you going to be watching on the Hill? Well, obviously, Pete Buttigieg is, is a, a big player here. He's the secretary of transportation. We're talking about a chance to build back better across the country. He has been starting to talk about what he sees as the sort of priorities for infrastructure. He's even got into the process a little bit. He, you know, I, I noticed just this week that he's been starting to talk about what bipartisanship means when it comes to infrastructure. And it's a very similar talking point to what we heard when the White House was working on the COVID bill, where he's been saying, you know, something that has the vast majority of support in the country might not necessarily garner support here on Capitol Hill among Republicans, essentially, is the point. So definitely look for that to come up as a, a repeated talking point in this process. You know, he's the Biden administration spokesperson and everything transportation. He's obviously incredibly media savvy. Um, he's very good at that part of the job. I think you'll be seeing him a lot and even more as this process ramps up. On the Hill, probably the biggest name is Peter DeFazio. I'm ready. He's the chairman of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. And uh, get plans on what to do with that job. He is the one who wrote this pretty ambitious and large service transportation bill that the House passed last year that went significantly farther than the Senate's more bipartisan bill. DeFazio sort of blazed ahead without really any Republican support. Um, and because, you know, depending on the process, budget reconciliation or whatever it is, because they might not need Republican support for this bill, you know, I think a lot of people see his legislation from last year as a model. So now that we've talked about the people, what what do you think are going to be some of the biggest fault lines here in actually getting infrastructure passed? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, I, I know process is, is boring to some people, but you really can't talk about where we're at right now without going into some of the wonky details about process. Another key player I should mention is Joe Manchin. Um, you can't talk about literally any policy issue in, in D.C. right now without bringing up Joe Manchin. And he's been really quick out of the gate talking about 
how he thinks an infrastructure bill should be passed. He really wants it to be bipartisan. He has talked about wanting to at least make a sort of solid outreach effort to Republicans on this bill before moving to budget reconciliation, which is obviously a, a much more partisan pathway. You know, you could say that's politics or posturing, and you could say, you know, he did the same thing on the COVID bill, but, you know, he'll be in all these conversations. Um, so that's an important process question. And there are also sort of questions about what you can do under budget reconciliation, whether you can create new programs. Um, I think some of that is determined, some of it's not. As for policy areas, you know, climate is is a huge part of transportation and infrastructure. Transportation is the, the largest emitting sector. DeFazio and others working on this are are sort of totally committed to making this a climate bill and a really ambitious climate bill, um, you know, putting in electrification uh, of vehicles and, and electrification infrastructure, um, making infrastructure more resilient. That's going to be a huge piece of what they try to do. And it's something that Republicans obviously feel a little bit different about. Yeah. Um, so I want to go back to Joe Manchin here in a few minutes. But before we get to him, uh, somebody we're watching, I, I like to call him the other Joe with veto power. One of the things, the questions I have is about this overall sort of price tag. Um, you know, Democrats, they just passed this $2 trillion bill. That's not a small number. How much money are we talking here? I know that, you know, I've heard some Republicans mention, you know, a trillion dollar infrastructure bill in years past. Um, are we thinking a trillion now? Some Democrats are talking about three trillion. Can they really do that after they just passed this massive COVID bill through the Congress? Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways it does go back to the process and how they decide to fund it. Um, I think Biden's initial proposal on the campaign trail was two trillion. Um, Saki has not budged when she's been asked about that. And when I say she hasn't buzzed, I mean she hasn't said anything. She has. She said we don't have a number. We don't have a bill. I just am not going to get ahead of a bill that has not been designed, formalized, finalized, packaged in terms of size, scope, or timeline at this point in time. Um, Mansion has thrown out four trillion um, wow. as a number. I mean, it's, it, at this point, it's just people you know pulling stuff out of the air a little bit and. The size of these numbers that these people are putting out suggests that these will be just way more than just roads and bridges. I mean, though that is just way more than you could. I mean, some people might disagree with me, but that's way more than you could even spend for transportation. You know, the the Defazio bill is is like five hundred billion, I think, for surface transportation over five, a five year reauthorization. So it it sort of the size sort of depends, I think, on how broad they decide to try to make this effort, and that in itself depends on whether it's bipartisan, who's who's voting for it. Speaking of cost, the obvious sort of follow-up question about with cost, that goes with cost, is this question of pay-fors, right? Everyone knows that when you spend money on something, you've got to find a way to, to cover it. Or or I guess, do you? There has been talk by some Democrats that maybe you just borrow the money. Interest rates are low. But Joe Manchin, who you just talked about a few minutes ago, was on you know TV over the weekend saying he wants to raise taxes to cover this. So wh- what are you hearing about pay for us here? Will they have to pay for the whole thing? And how do you think they end up moving forward on this? Yeah, I mean, a bunch of interesting things here. One is that Buttigieg, the transportation secretary, has absolutely hammered on this point that interest rates are really low. He's made Mm -hmm. it so many times. In a low interest rate environment, uh, there can be a lot of virtue to infrastructure investments. I had an interview with him where he said, basically, we would be crazy not to take the state of the economy and and the state of the, the debt into you know, our strategy when we're talking about how to do an infrastructure bill. Manchin, of course, has these tax proposals. He's talked about a value-added tax, which is a little bit out of left field and not something that a lot of people are talking about. He's also talked about 
you know, raising the corporate and high earner tax rates, which is how Biden proposed paying for infrastructure on the campaign trail. One more factor here that's really interesting to me is that user user fees, which are sort of the traditional way of paying for transportation infrastructure, have sort of totally disappeared out of the conversation. You know, for a long time in Congress, progressive Democrats wanted to raise the gas tax. Um, and that was always how they proposed paying for infrastructure. It was never done because it's really politically tenuous, of course. But Earl Blumenauer, for example. Earl Blumenauer, congressman from Oregon, who is a co-sponsor of the Green New Deal, and who, by the way, is known for wearing a bicycle pin every single day. For years, one of his number one issues, let's raise the gas tax. He is not advocating for that anymore. And he is instead called for transitioning to a vehicle miles traveled fee, has its own sort of policy and politics issues. But it seems like from from everyone I've talked to, there might not even really be a real attempt to work on either of those. And, and there seems to be a bit of an abandonment of this concept that people using the transportation infrastructure should be, be the ones primarily paying for it, at least for the moment. Yeah, no, it's just, it's interesting because Joe Manchin is saying he wants this to be bipartisan, right? Get Republican support, but at the same time is talking about raising taxes. And we all know Republicans are loath to raise taxes. Uh, so I, it's just... It seems like a, a paradox right there, uh, the Manchin paradox. Well, and, and that's when that's when you, you just start to wonder, like, what politics are at play, whether he's sort of setting up his position in order to be able to make a move or, or do something differently in the future. Because it's, it's, it's really not a realistic stance or strategy that he's putting forward. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So you have to assume that it's, it's part of a broader picture and that he, his, uh, his opinions on this are, are mutable. So that brings us to sort of Republicans and what what are they going to do on this? Uh, there's always been talk that this could be bipartisan, that infrastructure is like the one area where you could actually bridge both parties in a Washington that is increasingly divisive and uh, pretty, uh, pretty ugly at times between both parties. Could we actually see Republicans vote for this? Uh, I guess it depends on what's in it. But what do you think? Yeah, I mean, what I think is that this, the statement infrastructure is bipartisan is only really true on a very broad level that sort of ignores some of the practical and political things at play. You know, what what Republicans want, Sam Graves has been started to talk about this a bit. He's the top Republican on the House Transportation Infrastructure Committee, DeFazio's Republican counterpart. He's been saying, you know, essentially we want a narrow bill. We want something that addresses roads and bridges and, and doesn't try to sort of blow up a bunch of issues beyond that. He, um, has been somewhat open to resilience and building resilient infrastructure, but he's not, you know, he's not a he's not a climate advocate. He's he's not someone who is comfortable with the idea of spending billions, trillions on on climate programs. So I think if Democrats want to be as ambitious as they've talked about on the campaign trail and elsewhere, it would be really hard for them to find, you know, 10 Republicans in the Senate to get 60 votes, let alone one or two Republicans elsewhere. And, you know, it's it's up to Republicans to some point to decide whether they want to take the same tack they did with the COVID bill and say, this is way, spending way too much money. Uh, we can't get behind this. This should be narrower. Or if they want to sort of jump on jump on the train and, and be part of what would be an achievement for the Biden administration. But for obvious reasons, that seems fairly unlikely to me. Yeah, it seems like they're in a difficult position, the Republicans, and that, you know, they don't want to raise taxes, right? And without raising taxes, how do you pay for a plan that, that is this big? But if they were to just support a plan that is this big without a pay for, you know, that seems to sort of fly in the face of the whole thing they were saying about this COVID bill, which is that it was too expensive um, and it needed to be smaller. Um, so, yeah, it seems like this, even before Washington really digs into the weeds with infrastructure, that sounds like bipartisanship on this is uh, almost dead already. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's why Joe Manchin is is so important. Like, I know he it's been written about and discussed almost endlessly for the last couple months about him, you know the jokes. He's the new Senate Majority Leader. But I don't think the question in the Senate is going to be, can you get 10 Republicans to vote for this bill? I really don't. Given what they've talked about wanting to do with the bill, how big they want it to be, I think the question is going to be, can you get Joe Manchin to vote for it? Mm-hmm. And probably, yes, they can. I mean, he, you know, the other joke is like, what what kind of huge projects in West Virginia is it going to take for Joe Manchin to vote for whatever legislation? But, you know, I think that's that's what we're going to be talking about. Is there a certain Republican you're watching on the Hill that will definitely tell us whether or not this is could be bipartisan at any point? I guess one one name to watch out for is is John Thune. You know, he has been a member of leadership. Uh, he's close to McConnell, but he also has worked on transportation issues before. He's worked on infrastructure bills pretty heavily. He is always willing to talk about transportation and infrastructure. And I'd be curious, you know, what he's saying as things start to ramp up. I assume it'll be, you know, the McConnell line to whatever that ends up being. But he's he's an interesting voice in this for sure. What about the other end of the spectrum here? Because, you know, there's a lot of progressives who are really looking forward to this bill because they think they can, as you mentioned, put a lot of things that you don't traditionally think of as infrastructure in this package regarding uh, clean energy, uh, climate, uh, sort of cleaning up the environment. Do you think that that is going to be potentially problematic in terms of actually getting something passed if they're trying to put all these progressive initiatives in this bill? That doesn't strike me as a huge barrier. I mean, of course, they'll be pushing Biden you know, from the left. But he his, you know, his climate plans were extremely ambitious. The stuff he put out in the campaign, I think progressives were thrilled by. And, you know, progressives would be fine with, I mean, this is, I guess I shouldn't make a blanket statement. In general, progressives would be fine with paying for this with a deficit. They'd be fine and thrilled to raise taxes. So I don't think you're going to see the same kind of opposition about sort of the process and the methods from them. And, and if anything, they'll be pushing to put more climate provisions in to be more ambitious, spend more money on transit, things like that. But I don't see a clash there necessarily with, with Biden at all. OK, um, you had recently mentioned sort of a central plague of, of Biden's agenda was actually using transportation and passage of a transportation bill to sort of improve racial equality. What does that mean? And sort of what does that look like? I guess what should we be looking for? Yeah, I mean, a, a, a great example of this actually is a program that Senator, uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, which is a phrase that I still stumble over because I'm still getting used to it, <laughs> um, has proposed, which is this uh, 10 billion program, which would basically be for deconstructing highways that have sort of split black and minority communities, trying to start undoing some of the damage that this uneven infrastructure has done. I mean, another key plank of what Pete Buttigieg, Joe Biden have been talking about is just increasing transit access. We got a chance to do something about that. We got a chance right now to take our history into account. You know, if you can build out a transit line, a subway line to a neighborhood that hasn't had it before, that you know creates um, access to jobs, access to schools, access to other parts of the communities. By the way, this is something that can't be separated from questions of climate and environmental justice. A lot of what we see in this upcoming infrastructure bill will be definitely sprinkled with all sorts of efforts to improve racial equity, new grant programs including equity as a consideration in existing programs, things like that. If you were to sort of, on a scale of like one to 10, 10 being it's absolutely going to pass and one being it's absolutely not going to pass, what number would you give this in terms of its likelihood? It just depends on what it is. And let me like, let me run by you in response to that another scenario that I think is certainly possible, which is that the Congress ends up passing a surface transportation bill, which was, you know, more ambitious, bigger, more funding on things like transit and rail than in past bills, but in many ways is still a sort of traditional surface bill. And then the Biden administration says that that's our infrastructure bill. 
you know, hmm. or that's a piece of infrastructure bill that we've passed. And they sort of claim claim credit for what is a fairly standard and necessary duty of Congress that they'd be doing anyways. That's one scenario I've been sort of wondering about. You know, I guess, again, the question is, is how much other stuff they tack onto it or whether there are other pieces from other committees that they turn into part of an infrastructure bill. But yeah, I mean, you know, I'd say judging from the success of the American Rescue Plan and, and pat their, their efforts to pass it, there were some hiccups, but, you know, they got the job done and it was pretty efficient. And I think a lot of people, you know, progressives and, and other Democrats are really thrilled with that bill. I think that's probably a good sign if you're handicapping the chances of passing something meaningful on infrastructure. So, you know, I'd, I'd say I'm at a seven, probably. Okay. Last question for you on a deadline here. I mean, there is no deadline. And as somebody who's covered the Hill for a long time, Congress feels just about useless uh, without a deadline. And here you mentioned they're talking about Memorial Day, trying to get something done by then, but without a deadline. <laughs> I mean, isn't this going to be problematic uh, without you know, with the pandemic bill, they were looking at, you know, the middle of March because unemployment uh, benefits were about to expire with government spending. You know, the government will shut down if you don't actually pass something here. They're working on a bill that, you know, conceivably doesn't have that sort of cliff. Uh, does that make this problematic in terms of actually getting it done by Memorial Day? So there sort of is a deadline. The problem is that the deadline is in September. The, the deadline it. <laughs> As it, so to speak, is is that the surface transportation bill that I've been talking about, um, the existing one, well, so it expired last year. It was extended for a year until this upcoming September. Um, the fact that they extended it and um, it didn't make a massive, massive dent in like the country's transportation infrastructure that didn't already exist means that they know they could extend it again, as they've done many, many times in past reauthorization processes. But so, yeah, technically, there's a September 30th, I think it is, deadline on the surface transportation bill. And that's another reason that I'd caution against people who are saying like, oh, it's now infrastructure time, infrastructure week, if you must. Um, <laughs> you know, they're going to this is the next priority. They're going to do it right now. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen like that. If anything, you know, you'll start seeing these bills come out of Congress over the next couple of months. And I would guess that maybe over the summer, we'd really start getting into the sort of like potentially passage of, of whatever they're putting together. Is this why we hear Pete Buttigieg now say it's infrastructure year instead of infrastructure week? Yeah, sure. Maybe he's he's setting the time horizon on longer, you know, zooming out on the expectations a little bit. Um, yeah, I think so. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I am going to bug you with a lot of questions in the coming weeks and months. So stay in touch. All right, that's our show. Our producer is Annie Reese. Our senior producer is Jenny Ahmet, and our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Our illustrator is Bill Cookman. If you like our show, then like it. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It helps more people find the show. And check out my stories every morning in Politico Playbook, your unofficial guide to official Washington. Thanks for listening. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs>